interrupt this regularly scheduled program of Parker Lewis Can't Lose to bring you Legends in the Dark. My name is Jay. And I am Leslie. How are you doing, Leslie? I was actually just thinking about that that show. I used to love that show when I was a kid, and I'm really hesitant nowadays to say like I liked a show when I was a kid because if you ever rewatch shows or movies when you're a kid as an adult, sometimes it's like, oh, oh no, no, that's not good. Have you ever seen Parker Lewis Can't Lose as an adult? I can honestly say I haven't. Yeah. The only person I know who like did something else was the friend. Not He wasn't really the friend, but he was the guy who was like the bully slash misunderstood guy was on ER. Mm. Yeah, I, there's a lot of those shows from like the 90s and stuff like that. that I'm, I, I can't, I don't, I don't feel like I can't go back and watch them again because I'm just going to be like. I know, now I'm trying to even think if I can remember that show like so clearly. Like I just remember him having like a locker that led to a different, like a secret hallway and all this stuff. And, I'm, and I just remember thinking this is what high school is going to be. And when I got to high school, that's what, not what high school was like. You're like, it's actually worse. It's yeah. so much worse. <laughs> oh my gosh. So how's your week been? It's going all right. I have, uh, <laughs> you're going to be super jealous and pissed off at me, but like, <laughs> I actually am I'm off from today until Wednesday because I took time off because it's going to be my birthday. I know. I wanted to wish you an early happy birthday. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. I know. I am kind of jealous. But then after this week, I was supposed to have two weeks off, but I'm going to save my time. So I have a week and a half off. That's always good. Yeah. Right around Halloween. And I remember I did that on purpose because I had this whole plan of doing all the Halloween stuff. I never get a chance to do because I'm always busy working and COVID. I wanted to take like the Friday before Halloween off, but you know, it's all booked up at my work. And then I thought to myself, why do I care? I'm not going to do anything that day anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I think for me, I think the, the whole week off was just, Last year around this time, it started getting rainy, and I just was like, oh, man, I really hope it's going to rain one day, or I think I just wanted it time off in the fall so I can just enjoy the fall, you know what I mean? But so, hey, I'm glad that you got some time off for your birthday. You totally deserve it. I do. I really do. <laughs> and I appreciate you acknowledging that. Uh, my week wasn't too bad. It's just long, boring. Like, I honestly, nothing really happens during the week. I'm just riding. I visit friends um, when I can through Zoom or, you know, six feet away, and I work. It's it's really kind of that transitional period right now for me before stuff probably starts getting busy for the holidays. True. Well, should we uh, get to it? Let's do this. I think you're going first this week. Oh, yeah. So today, doing something a little bit different, not different, different. I don't do very many. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So today we're taking you to Brazil for the haunting of Maria Jose Pereira occurred in, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, Jaboticabal, or Jaboticabal, Brazil, in 1965. Maria at the time, aged 11 years, lived with her family. The, the supernatural activity began in the home 
falling bricks and stones materializing out of nowhere and falling in the house. Now, yes. because they had a, like a similar pile of bricks and everything at the and outside of the house, the family at first just believed uh, somebody's just playing a prank on us or something like that. But it continued longer than you know a prank normally would, and so they started to get a little, little freaked out about that. But not only were the falling bricks and stones materializing out of nowhere, but also household items would be smashed by the falling brick. After that, poltergeist activity grew more sinister when no longer was just throwing bricks, but physically striking out at the family members. It was at this time that the family contacted their local priest, who, when he arrived, witnessed also the flying rocks and other objects moving on their own along with strange noises that seemed to come from nowhere, but were heard everywhere. Just thinking about noises coming from everywhere. I mean, I've read and heard about those stories where someone is in a room and, like, I just watched um, House on Haunted Hill again, or The Haunting of Hill House, I'm sorry. And that whole scene, uh, not, I won't give it away, but the whole scene in one of the episodes where basically it just sounds like someone's knocking the door and then all of a sudden it's on the side of the windows and then it's all on this other side of the windows and then it sounds like it's coming from like all four walls that that to me is the creepiest because you can think that it's someone doing it but like how um hill house did it is she opens the front door and like no one is there and the knocking continues that is creepy when it's all around you you know what else is creepy is when they sh- when they play like something something is chanting like in Latin, but it's like in slow motion and going backwards. Oh uh, yeah, that is creepy. Very creepy. So yeah, so we have the noises that are heard heard everywhere but nowhere. So this is where we're at right now. The priest. So the priest concluded that an exorcism was required to evict the evil from spirit from within the home. Now the exorcism in this case did not outcast the evil spirit, nor did it ease any of the supernatural activity within the home, but merely, as in other stories and stuff that we've read, merely spurred on the poltergeist activity even more. So at this point, things started becoming more aggressive and scary in the household. How much more scary? Because I can't can't even wrap my my head around what you were just talking about with all the sounds and bricks and stuff. Like, that's already a lot. Oh, let me blow your mind. Let's go. <laughs> the, the flying rocks that had been occurring in the house were now becoming huge flying rocks. And we're talking rocks weighing in at almost eight pounds. These are more like cannonballs coming in, <laughs> falling around there, getting thrown around their house. Oh, that's scary. So when the, the rocks stopped getting the point across, the poltergeist decided that Furniture was the next best option. That's scary because I have some heavy furniture. Right. Poor Maria, though, she got the worst of the poltergeist activity. Uh, She was slapped, scratched, even bitten by the invisible forces in the house. She also had deep bruising all over her body. There was was actually a report that was filed that told about uh, Maria having about 55 needles removed from her left ankle. Nobody knows how those needles got there. Oh, I do not like needles. That's like my one phobia. Like, I really don't like needles. Also, when they bandaged her foot, her ankle up, right? When they're taking the the needles out. So every time they would bandage it off, something would rip the bandages off. 
Like not, it said, no, you don't get cool. to be bandaged. Not cool. Mm -mm. The family, fearing from Rhea's safety, called a psychic medium for assistance. This psychic medium, uh, whose name was, Lord help me, I think I'm going to probably pronounce this name wrong too, but Joao Volpe, probably fairly close. Better than so, I would have done. They called him for called him for him over for assistance. So he was actually a uh, he was more he was a he was actually a dentist, funniest thing, but also a, a spiritist, as the, <laughs> the sources say. So this site this this medium came you know investigated the house. Everything. He determined that the hauntings were being done by a very powerful and a very angry poltergeist. Now uh, Volpe felt that this was too much for him it was too powerful for for him to help the family out with and that would prove true but he before that he also he determined that maria was also a natural medium herself who was unwittingly and unknowingly enabling the psychic phenomena to occur in the household as apparently she had a lot of invisible playmates you know i've actually heard that where a lot of people don't realize that they are almost like a magnet and maybe they just are closed off so they don't realize a lot of stuff that happens around them because they don't pay attention mm -hmm. maybe it was trying to get to her attention exactly so there were there was other instances you know like glassware and crockery were in the household were being smashed and thrown about over a three-week period that's a lot of glassware and crockery to go through seriously i'm surprised they didn't run out there was a one instance this one i actually kind of thought was kind of funny for a poltergeist thing to do. There was an instance of, there was a carton of eggs, like a dozen eggs in, in the family's refrigerator. Sometime at some point, three eggs disappeared from that carton of eggs and appeared underneath a rooster in the backyard. <laughs> that sounds like more like a prank. That one may have been a prank actually, but it was it's pretty funny. <laughs> if it was done by the poltergeist, I'd be like, hey, man, that, that's original, I'll give you that much. You know, most, most bolder guys, you know, do the whole, oh, you know, I can throw some furniture around, you know, I can scratch you up or whatever. Nobody really thinks, hey, you know what? I'm going to stick some eggs underneath this rooster. I'll show you what's what. There are instances also while Maria slept, she would wake up and cups and glasses had were appearing over her mouth as if something was trying to suffocate her. Oh, let's see. Yeah, that's starting to get dangerous. It got worse. That's school during her lunch break while she ate maria's clothes began to smolder with fire on and on that same day the volpes and they just to say they they actually took maria in for about a year while they were trying to help get rid of this thing for her so their bedroom on that same day burst into flames volpe himself was badly burned when he tried to grab when he grabbed a pillow that was actually burning on the inside this continued finally Again, like I said, Volpe decided, I cannot help this person. It's too much for me. So he sent Maria to a more powerful, more experienced medium named Chico Javier. Javier was able to contact the spirits and by going into one of those uh, spirit trance. And during this trance, asked the spirits why they were so violent and cruel to an 11-year-old child. Apparently the spirits... Spirits, plural. There was actually more than one. That makes sense because it, it seems he had this dangerous spirit and then he almost had like this trickster spirit. So you have the spirits held an obsessive and angry grudge towards this girl who, from what the spirits said, 
in a previous life was an evil witch who had murdered the spirit and many other angry spirits who she killed with using black magic. What the spirits basically said is like this person, this witch killed us in life and now we're going to make her suffer. That's crazy. The medium, uh, Javier, pleaded with the spirits to leave Maria alone because it's unfair to punish an 11-year-old child for something that she did in a previous life. Unfortunately, that didn't help. The hauntings persisted, and finally, in 1970, Maria, who was at the time age 13, returned to live with her mother. Sadly, was found dead of an apparent suicide. Apparently, she had consumed a soft drink laced with pesticide and died instantly. Oh, that is so sad. People kind of debate whether she committed suicide or if it was the spirits that were haunting her that dealt the final blow. Man, that's so sad to think about. But that was the sad tale of Maria Jose Ferreira. I've never heard that. It's so interesting. I mean, I might have to like look it up a little bit more. I wonder if there's a book on it. Possibly. Huh. Well, if any of our listeners in Brazil know more about it, feel free to reach out to us. Oh, yeah, we totally have those. I forgot. We actually did shout-outs for them, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. Wow. Well, good story, Jay. Yeah, um, I'm you. I'm really kind of creeped out by that one. <laughs> Poltergeist stories tend to do that. Yeah, I think it's it's because it's so it, it could go from you know when you watch like the movie poltergeist where it could be like oh she's funny little things happening she's something very very scary happening yeah there I, I mean there was i was trying to read i was reading a few of those and like there was another one there's a poltergeist that was haunting a bed that a, that a family had in their child their child's room and they would um injure the child while it was laying in the bed apparently it didn't want people it didn't want anybody in that bed apparently the spirit was a little girl mother died in that bed and she didn't want anybody sleeping in that bed or it was a boy or something i forget exactly but the creepy part is that they wrote this spirit a note saying like you know what's your name and age and then they left the room when they came back in the room on that piece of paper was written Danny Seven. Oh man. Okay. Well, you're you're going to have to do that story now. Yeah. They, it didn't. It didn't want people sleeping. I'd be like, Yo, man, you can have that bed. I, I'm I'm okay. I'll sleep on the floor. Seriously, I, I got a couch. Guy. Like I got a couch. I got a another bed. Like psych, I'm just gonna burn the whole house down. That was like there's another story I heard about. I thought it was the bunk beds because it basically I heard the same story. Um, it's a famous story from the 80s, and it's about bunk beds. And it just kept going on and on for this family. And I'm just, like, in my head. I remember when I watched the story, because I think it was on Unsolved Mysteries, but I, I've, I've heard of it. And I always kept thinking was I would have gotten rid of those bunk beds so fast. Burn it with fire. Seriously. All right, well, okay, are you ready for mine? I am. All right. This story tonight is about the New Jersey... Or New Jersey's The Watcher. Sounds interesting. Have you heard about this story? I think I have, yeah. Okay, it's it's pretty famous. So we start off in Westfield, New Jersey. Now, the address is famous. There's multiple articles. Everyone knows the address. I'm not going to say the address on the podcast for 
mostly because I think now there's new owners and I just, I think it's easier for people to like, it's out there if you really want to look it up, the address, but I'm not going to put it out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. The house is usually referred to as the name and then Boulevard. So I'm just going to call, not the name, but the number and Boulevard. I'm not going to say the number. I'm just going to say the Boulevard. So I know it sounds like some kind of noir movie I'm talking about. We're heading to Westfield, New Jersey and the Boulevard. The year is 2014, June. Derek and Maria Broadus. I'm going to apologize. I had practiced that name and now I feel like I'm saying it wrong. But Derek and Maria bought their dream home. For Maria, it was almost like coming home as her childhood home was only a few blocks away. Three days after the close of the sale, Derek was at the new home working on it when he decided to check the mail. Inside the mailbox was an envelope with the words, the new owner, handwritten. When he was done reading the letter, seeing no return address, no name, he called the police. The police advice after reading the letter was to take precautions, but nothing more could be done. So what was in the letter that upset him? Well, he opened the mailbox and he read, Dearest new neighbor at the boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did the boulevard call to you with its force within? The boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know that what lies within the walls of the boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I see already that you have flooded the boulevard with contractors, so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tiss, tiss, tiss. Bad move. You don't want to make the boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? Hundreds of cars pass by the house every single day. Maybe I am in one. Check all of the windows that can be seen from the boulevard. Perhaps I am in one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. The Watcher. So That's a little creepy-ish. And they hadn't even moved in. Like... The dad, Derek, he was there. I think it said that he was painting. And he was just like, oh, check the mail, la, 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 la. So, I, I would like some forensic evidence. I would take fin- fingerprints on that envelope. I know. I You know, I'll be honest. I was watching and reading these articles. And now I'm kidding. I was, like, thinking of all the pl- ways. I'm like, okay, listen, I think I can trap this guy doing this. I think this mystery would have been solved on an episode of CSI, like, in, like, 20 minutes. Now I'm trying to think of a really bad pun for CSI. Like, I got to take off my glasses, though, so hold on. Um, Who watches? The Watcher. Okay, that was good. But how about... I guess I have the message, and I have to return to sender. <laughs> good, right? Took me a minute. Uh, that, that, that was good. That was good. Okay, so continuing. 
So after reading the letter and knowing the police couldn't do anything, Derek also contacted the former owners about the letter. I also am not going to use the former owners' names. Even though it's out there and I know in articles they all write about these people, but I'm going to move on. The former owners told Derek in the 23 years that they lived at the house, they never received a letter. That is, until a few days before the transfer of the property. Regarding it as a prank, they threw out the letter. Both families then went to the police, who told them to not mention the letters to anyone. Basically, they didn't want them to mention it to their neighbors. Former, They didn't want the former owners to get in touch with any of the old neighbors or vice versa because they thought it was one of the neighbors. Weeks went by before the next letter showed up. The letter addressed them by name and also mentioned their children, including their birth order and nicknames. What was scary is also in the letter, it mentioned that they, the watcher saw their daughter painting on the porch. So I'm only going to read, this next letter is really long, so I'm just going to read a little bit of the excerpts. Welcome again to your new home at the boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload careful of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for the boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life within the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. I am pleased to know your names now and have the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. And it goes on to about who will sleep where, which windows he can watch from. And then the last paragraph says, I pass by many times a day. The boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to the boulevard and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. The Watcher. I think the language itself, so... I'm reading this from the printout because usually when I write my story up, I'll type up the script. I'll be like, okay, I want to use this quote and I want to use this quote. And I write a lot. And when I write, one of the things that some teachers and some authors say is if you want to get a feel of how a book is written, take a book that you love. Let's say Stephen King, um, Julia Quinn, you know, tons of other writers and write a couple chapters just by your hand, so that way you could get into the rhythm of how they write and then what voices they use. I basically printed out the pages because I did not want to write these letters down. <laughs> I did not want to get into the mind of the Watcher. Or you would become the Watcher. Oh my gosh. Return to sender. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, right? That was. Okay, so moving on. The investigation continued, looking at the neighbors. Weeks went by, and a third letter came to the boulevard. 
This time mentioned in specific actions that the family had done, including not bringing their kids to the house. The boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of the boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. The boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in the boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. What was also happening was the family hadn't moved in yet, especially after the second letter. They decided to stay with Maria's family since it was down the street. Not down the street, but a couple blocks away. And they've never really officially moved in, like bringing their stuff in. Hmm. Probably a smart idea. Yeah. Or even if they did move in and brought their stuff in, they didn't bring their kids anymore. Because like these letters were mentioning your kids. With depression, paranoia, and the general uneasiness, the family decided only six months after buying the house to sell it. But too late, rumors about the house made the house difficult selling. The family then sued the former owners of the house, stating they did not disclose the threatened letter they received. In the end, the judge dismissed the case, stating he didn't want to enforce a burden on the future sellers on what they need to disclose to buyers. The next plan was to split the property. They wanted to take down the house, then build two new homes on separate lots. But the planning board rejected the idea, stating the size would be too small for the lots on the neighborhood. And I think I read, or maybe it was on BuzzFeed, it was like three feet on each one, too small. So it wasn't like they were building tiny houses on this huge, you know, 10,000 acre lot. It was just... it. They were saying it was just kind of too small for where the house is, how the house is situated. Yeah. So the only other option that the family had was to rent the home, which they did. The new family moved in, and they were older, had adult children, and two big dogs. They also understood about the watcher, and they had in their lease that if they got any threatened letters, they could be released from it. Two weeks later, they handed Derek another threatening letter. In part, it says... Violent winds and bitter cold to the violent, spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. The boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its the gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of the boulevard with my orders. All hell the watcher. He also alludes to a form of revenge in maybe a car accident, maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you fall sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. So basically, after that letter, 
there was no more threatening letters. No, just empty promises. <laughs> yeah, and and the tenants haven't received any letters either. So it was one of those things where it got kind of worse. And then, like, once they moved out, I think it kind of was like, oh, hey, wait a minute. I don't want these new people. I want the other people. Hey, family, come back, you wench. Mm-hmm. You, know what they, you know what they should have done? They should have wrote their own letter and just addressed it to the watcher stuck it in their mailbox so that when whoever comes in to like put the let put a letter in, they say, "Oh, there's a letter for me," and just write in, "Come get us." Well, or just put a big sign like "Watch this" or something like I don't I don't know if I you know it's all big talk that we do when we're not in that situation. And so I can't imagine doing like I think it was said two years of this. Yeah, true. The final thing is. After that, there was no more threatening letters, like I said, and the family was able to finally sell the house in August of 2019. There were suspects, and the suspects were interesting. Okay, so the first was a neighbor, um, this neighbor who, I guess, wasn't really right or wasn't, he lived with his family, and I guess the police investigated them, and said they had nothing to do with the letters, and I'm not sure how, and they didn't, was very vague on how they they came to that conclusion. And then they, a police also found a man sitting in a car, seemingly lost. And he said, oh, my girlfriend lives down the street. And, you know, it, he did, or the girlfriend did. And I guess, like, he was a gamer. And <laughs> I don't know what game they were playing, but, like, the police report was very vague on, like, oh, yeah, he, we told him to come in to ask questions, and the guy never came in. And I guess, like, they thought the cop to his recollection, said that the guy played a game and his name was The Watcher. And I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know how many gamers have, like, the weirdest names? The Watcher's not even, like, the weirdest name I've ever heard. No. And the last theory that people had said that it was the family who did it, and it's all a big elaborate hoax, which at the time I thought, well, okay, that kind of makes sense. But what happened was they didn't mention the letters to anyone. And it wasn't until they sued the former owners where a reporter found an affidavit with some of the letters written in it. And that's how they reported it. And that's how it kind of went. It blew up. So it wasn't that... It wasn't how Amityville Horror was like, oh, we had to leave. And now look at this. I wrote a book. It was, we're trying to sell our house, we can't sell our house, we're trying to do this, we can't do this, now we're going to sue you, and then the story got out. So it was one of these things where it wasn't them pushing the story on people. But I guess what happened was, after the planning committee said no to their their idea, I guess afterwards, some of the neighbors um, said, yeah, you don't want to do that to that lot, or you you don't want to tear down the house. And Derek... I guess got upset and wrote there was letters that some of the neighbors got saying, you know, friends of the Brockus family and they found out like Derek wrote them, but it's kind of one of those things where, okay, I kind of see what he was going for, but you're already dealing with unsigned letters or, you know, anonymous letters. Why, why put more in the mix? True. Yeah. And on Buzzfeed, they also did it in one of their episodes and I kind of just watched it just to see, you know, how much of the story was similar to, and they added a little bit more. And one of the things they did add was that one of the neighbors also got a letter and it was threatening in nature, but they thought it was a prank and it was also signed by the watcher. 
And so the reason why people think it was a hoax, probably the family, is the family started sending these watcher letters. But it's kind of those things where it's like the two other families thought it was a prank and they threw it away. Why would they even want to, you know, bring it up? You know what That's I mean? True. Like if if the family and and Buzzfeed even talked about it's like if the family was like, oh, we want to get all the riches for having this weird you know, movie deal and have a movie deal and have about this weird watcher, someone sending creepy letters. Why would they want other families to come in and say, oh, we got a letter too. This doesn't make sense. I, I don't, I honestly don't think it was a hoax. I yeah, don't think it was a hoax. I mean, nobody was really cashing in on that anyway. So yeah, but oh. just... no, don't get me wrong. They were creepy and I would not want to receive those letters. Like I moved into our new house, like last year and you know even before that oh you know so like when we had moved into our first house and this is kind of funny so we moved into our first house and by happenstance because it was it was 2013 and it was kind of one of those things where the market was coming back houses were really scarce so if you found a good price one which for us we needed a good price they were just getting snapped up so we got lucky because we basically the family hadn't put it on the market yet and it was just like oh yeah we're thinking of selling the house so we were like oh we'll buy the house and so when our agent heard about this they said oh we're not even going to put a sign up in the front yard we're just going to you know put it up for sale and then take it down and we went into pendant like the next day it there was it sounds like a like a used car salesman but it was owned by a little old lady who basically was going to um, live in a nursing home. Uh, what do you call it? Not a, when it's not so much a nursing home, like a senior senior retirement community. That's what it is. There you go. Thank you. So she was going to live in this retirement community. And she was really nice. I won't use her real name. I'll, I'll say um, Gladys. So Gladys was a member of a church and I guess like they didn't her and her family didn't like tell their church that she wasn't gonna go to church anymore and she was gonna go to this retirement community because we for the first like maybe three or four months we kept getting like every other weekend we got letters stuck into our door and into our mailbox saying hi Gladys I just want to know how you are please contact me and we'd be like, well, there's no, and then they, they would have a name, like, you know, from Jeff. And we're like, well, Jeff didn't leave a number or name or return address. So, okay, well, I guess we'll just, you know, put that on the side in case the, the, she contacts us, which they never did. The former owners never did. And so then like a couple times and you, we come home and there's handwritten letters and there's one or two, like, where's Gladys? Gladys, we are so worried. And I told Chris, I said, you know, we better contact someone because we're going to get like a cops coming for a wellness check and they're not going to be here. And then sure enough, like a couple months later, not a police officer, but we, we basically, I was, Chris had a friend come over and they had to go out and grocery shopping and she was staying for dinner. And Chris is like, Oh no. I forgot tomatoes. Can you go and run and get the tomatoes from the store? And I said, sure. So I go open the garage. I walk out to my car in the garage and I see a neighbor and she's on the driveway and she's waving and waving. And I wave back and I guess that gave her permission to like come into the street. And I was like, oh, I don't want this lady to like get into my garage. So I go down to the driveway and she stops like in the middle of the street. And 
I was like, oh, okay, are we doing this? So I walk in the middle of the street and I start talking to her. And she's like, oh, hi, I'm your neighbor, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, she was really, really super sweet. But then she was saying like, yeah, so uh, what happened to Gladys? And we were like, oh, well, you know, she she moved into a retirement community. Um, we met her family. Uh, I guess they all thought it would be a better option. The house was too much for her. You know, I, I don't know. It, it wasn't my business. That's all I literally knew about Gladys was she sold the house to us. And so she's like, yeah, I noticed. And this is the neighbor. I noticed that you guys keep your blinds down in the window overlooking the kitchen. Oh, yeah, you know, Gladys used to open those, keep those open. And we always were able to see her so that, that we made sure she was okay. And she just watched her going about her day. And I was like, and the minute she said that, the first thing I thought was, I'm never opening those blinds again. And I hadn't. Like, the, for the five years we were there, I never opened those blinds if I didn't have to. Like, it was so creepy to just saying, like, telling someone, like, oh, yeah, so I just watched, you know, your old neighbor, or the old owner. And then I was talking to her for about 30 minutes. And I had to go back in the house. And I had to tell Chris. And they all thought I was, I was back. I said, Chris, I want to let you know that I'm leaving for the store right now. And I remember his friend was laughing, saying like, oh, ha ha, funny joke. And I said, no, I'm being completely serious. I just got caught with a neighbor, so I'm leaving right now. And I left, and they saw my car drive by because the blinds were open. So I came back, and I told them the story about the blinds, and Chris went, went like this, joop. <laughs> like, just closed the blinds. But so... What a creepy thing to say to somebody too. It's like, oh yeah, we used to like just like like you said. It's like we just we used to sit out sit here and just watch this lady through the blinds and just that's how we knew she was okay. And yeah, so when when I first heard this story, I actually didn't think anything creepy was about it. Not until I heard what the letter said and actually read the letters, and I was like, whoa, that's a little too much. No, that one started off creepy. There was no awkwardness to it. It was just. <laughs> straight up just from moment one creepy i wonder then if i got one of those letters i probably would have been just like oh it's just it's just a neighbor welcome us to the neighborhood and like no honey it's really creepy <laughs> but like i said sometimes ghost stories will creep me out but it's the human stories the human factor that to me will scare me every time like i I go to sleep at night. I'm not scared about walking down the hallway in a dark hallway. You know, there's a shadows in the corner. I'm not scared about that. I will wake up in a cold sweat asking Chris, did you lock the front door? Like, that's what I get more scared of. Like, do we lock the door? Get up and lock the door. And I'll get up and I'll make sure the door is locked. And I'll go around to all the doors and windows, make sure everything's locked. Yeah, that's also creepy. Never want to have that happen either. Yeah. But anyway, so that's the end of my story of The Watcher. But I guess you uh, we want to do the legendary listener shout-out? I would, but I don't think we ever designated anybody to give that out to. Oh, well, I have... Well, we've been getting a lot of downloads from the UK, probably because we've been doing a couple of London stories. Uh, I would like to do our legendary listener shout-out to Blackpool, UK. I actually don't know where that's at. I'm kind of curious might look it up on a map. So thank you, Blackpool, for listening. We appreciate it. Seriously, we really, really do. It's always really fun for me to see how many downloads we get. And 
they, they have this thing on our on our statistics to say, do, would you like to do a refresh? I'm like, yes. And you only do like one every hour. So like sometimes I'll wait 30 minutes and I don't realize it's only been 30 minutes. I'm like refreshing. Like you've already requested a refresh within the last hour. I'm like, do it again. Like do as I say. <laughs> well, you want to take us home? Yes. So this has been another exciting and successful episode of Legends of the Dark. My name is Jay. And I'm Leslie your purveyors of the paranormal, and your curators of the creepy. We thank you for listening, and good night. Good night.